Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and I'm joined today by Adriel Wallach. A- Adriel, welcome. Um, so, Adriel, who are you? Um, so, I am Adriel Wallach. I, I am a game developer. I do a lot of sort of different little things in the industry. Um, I started out uh, actually, before I got into games, I started out as a programmer on weather satellites, uh, both as part of like the flight code at one company, and then I switched over to another company that did um, more of like the ground processing algorithms and and stuff like that. So not not really the flight code portion of it, um, but it was sort of an industry I wasn't super interested in. I I just sort of accidentally fell into through various means of of working on student built satellites in college and whatnot and. It was interesting, and it's always fun to say that you worked on something that's going to be in space. Um, but I've always sort of had this soft spot for video games, so eventually I switched over to video games. And I initially worked at a company, um, it was an indie studio in Boston called Firehose Games. Uh, and we worked, I mostly worked with them as a subcontractor to Harmonix on one of the Rock Band games, uh, Rock Band Blitz, which came out a few years ago. Uh, and then after that, switched over to a company that did more like non-original IP contract work and stuff like that. And then eventually, you know, after that, I, I really just wanted to be doing my own thing and working on my own games. And that's when I left that place and went full-time, you know, indie. Um, and so ever since going indie, I've just sort of been working on a lot of my own things. I've been doing this game a week thing, uh, which has been really, really interesting uh, it's basically, as the name implies, where I make a game a week. Uh, and they're all, you know, quite small little things, but they're all little prototypes, and they all sort of um, allow me to try out just one simple little mechanic and, and one little thing and just sort of, like, constantly create stuff, uh, which has been a really, really, really big motivator. Um, we could talk about, you know, all the cool things about Game a Week later after I do my fun little summary of myself. Um, and then I've also uh, been organizing a game jam called Train Jam, which is also, as the name implies, a game jam on a train, uh, which I try to schedule right before GDC, and it goes from Chicago to San Francisco, and it's about a 52-hour train ride, and everybody makes a game on the train. So what is, for those of us who don't know, what is a game jam? So a game jam is basically a short period of time where a bunch of people get together, developers of, of all different sort of walks of, of life get together and will, there will generally be a theme that is presented that you don't know ahead of time. And they will, you know, take that theme, brainstorm different ideas, form small teams, and then make a game. Basically, usually in about 48 hours is the, the general game jam length. Uh, some jams are a bit longer, you know, you have week long ones like seven day FPS, which is, you know, a week long game jam where you make a first person shooter or, you know, there's month long game jams or a month is usually about as long as a game jam will go. But for the most part, they're about 48 hours. Uh, and they're, they're really, really fun. And they're a nice sort of break from the day to day monotony that can happen when you're creating a bunch of stuff. And it allows you to be creative in a really fun way and work under a high pressure environment. Um, so they're, they're super duper fun and they're really just like, I, I find them very helpful in terms of just motivation and being able to try something and work with people you would never work with before. Um, 
so yeah, that that's sort of the gist of a game jam. And then I sort of took it a, a step further and threw everybody onto a train, which added a whole lot of really interesting logistical ideas. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. So what? I don't even know. Do you know how you came up with the idea of doing a train jam or? Yeah, actually. So what happened was is so like I said, I, I um, you know went full time indie. It was about last year when I left that company that was doing commission work and. At the same time as that, I also decided I didn't want to live in Boston anymore, which is where I was living at the time, but I didn't quite really have anywhere else I wanted to live. So I, um, I let my apartment lease expire. I put all my stuff in storage and I packed a suitcase and I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go travel now because I don't really feel like living anywhere. Um, so the day my lease expired, I ended up getting on a train in Boston and trekking my way all the way across country to get out to Seattle to go to PAX Prime. Um, and during that trip, it was just me. It was a three-day long train trip. I stopped over in Chicago for a few days, but the entirety of the train ride was three days solid. And during that time, like I, I worked on stuff. I played games. I read books. And I talked to a lot of people. And it was really, really just a fun little trip for myself. And when I got out to PAX Prime then, I started telling everybody, yeah, I came out here on train. And you know, it was really cool. You got to see a lot of things. And just through the sort of natural progression of the conversations with people, it, it came up a multitude of times of like, oh, man, that'd be so fun to just like get a bunch of people and do a game jam. And, you know, it'd be so weird. And so at first I, I tried to plan it around PAX Prime because that was when I went on it. And then I decided that GDC was a much better event to sort of plan that around because a lot of the developers going to the game developer conference in uh, San Francisco will have more time to you know, dedicate to a game jam before the event, as opposed to something like PAX, where developers are really showing off products and this, that, and the other thing and are busy. Um, so that's sort of where it came about was I, I decided not to live anywhere anymore, took a train, and then that just naturally evolved into doing some sort of game jam on a train. Wow. So you've had one train jam so far, right? Yeah. Last year, or I guess technically this year, because it was 2014, this year was the inaugural game jam train jam, um, which I actually ended up getting like 60 people on, which I was really, really surprised about because I, you know, I looked into how to do group tickets on, on Amtrak and it was, you know, fairly straightforward. And I booked, it was about 30 tickets and they were all refundable. And I was like, okay, it's kind of a weird idea. I'm just going to book these 30 tickets, put tickets up for sale. You know, if nobody signs up, I'll just refund any money and pretend it never happened. And if people sign up, you know, great. And then within about a month, all those tickets sold out and then people kept asking for more and more tickets. So I ended up doubling the amount of tickets and those sold out, you know, about a month later. And by then I was like, okay, I think I need to stick with these 60 people, sort of see how it goes and then raise it for next year. So this year I've actually booked, I've already booked all the spaces for Train Jam next year. I haven't put the tickets up for sale or anything, but there's going to be space for about 80 people this year. Holy moly. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of nervous about wrangling 80 people onto a train. I was just thinking how do you like you're 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 zooming down a train tra- well relatively I guess to walking anyway. You're yeah. you know down going down a, a train track, you're stuck with these people, you know, so so hopefully everybody gets along. Um it's at least to a point. It's kind of nice because there's surprisingly a lot of room on the train to sort of disappear to if you really need to be alone. Because, um, I mean, so there's there's the, the coach class seats, which are just the, the normal seats up front. And then there's also sleeper cars, which have beds and, you know, 
they're sort of a little bit more spacious. But when I say spacious, I mean, you for actually train. can lay down. Right. Yeah, it's, it's for a train. But there's all these like, like there's all these sort of like lower deck places and there's like seats. There's, there's a whole like observation deck that you can hang out in. And I don't know, there was, there's actually like more than enough areas for you to get away when you needed to. Um, and I mean, most game jams are usually held at a location where you basically spend most of your time anyway. So other than the fact that you don't go home at night, it was, you know, you had about as much time to yourself as you normally do in a game jam. Uh, well, in hearing you describe it, actually, I'm thinking it would be better than, you know, like, oh, we have this this hotel um, conference room that we've rented and we're going to have it there. It sounds like um, maybe a train jam would even be a lot better for you know, creativity and, and changing your scenery and, 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 you know, this space is too loud or this space is too quiet. So I'm going to try something else. It sounds like it would do better than where you might typically have it, or at least be, a, a, I guess, a different experience. Yeah. There was a lot of really interesting, like unexpectedly interesting, different things about doing a game jam on a train. One of the big ones that I noticed was so when you do a game jam, say, that's held at a university or, you know, a location somewhere, uh, the teams will form and then they all sort of go to their own corners of the room or their desk or, you know, somewhere to just sort of work on their own thing with themselves. And, you know, every now and again, you'll have cross-pollination between groups when they overhear them talking about something. But for the most part, at a game jam, the groups will form and they just sort of work with themselves. Whereas on train jam... A really interesting thing happened where most of the people went to the observation deck cars because that, that's where there were, you know, seats with tables and stuff. So it was easier for people to work. But since we were all very much on top of each other, there was a lot of discussion between all the various groups and all the various teams. And so, you know, there was one person who was a pixel artist who ended up doing art for, I think, six or seven games just because, you know, he'd hear people talking about different art that they need. He'd be like, oh, let me whip that up real quick, or let me do that, or let me do this. Or there was, you know, one team, the guy made sound for another team. And it, there was a whole lot more cross-pollination and a lot more, like, just cross-talking and, 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 you know, collaborating than I've ever seen in any other game jam that I've done. Uh, and one of the other interesting things that happened that I just, like, totally didn't even think about was we were doing a game jam in public. Like we were on this train with all these people who, you know, aren't into games, don't even know what games are. You know, these are people just riding an Amtrak train across the country or, you know, just on a trip or doing something. And we were in their face doing this game jam, you know? So there were all these people on the train who would just be like, you know, what, what is this? Like, do you know what they, what this is? Cause they'd see me sort of running around wrangling people and talking to them and, and doing the general, you know, organizational things. And so the, the, the other people on the train would stop me and be like, what, what is this? Like, you're all out there with your computers. What are you doing? And I'd have to explain to them, like, A, what game development is, B, what a game jam is, C, what the game developers conference is, D, what the heck we're doing there. And just, it was, it was a very, very interesting dynamic that was created then because these people who would never otherwise look at a game at all, um, were now interested in what was happening and how games were made um, and you know what was going on. And we got to expose all these people to game development 
Um, and there was even, you know, families with small children and little children would be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, one kid would be playing Minecraft on his iPad and then look around and realize that all these people are also making this, you know, this thing. Things that like that, likes. right. Yeah. And so, you know, there was one little boy, he was probably like five or six. He was just like super excited about all of this. And he kept going up to the teams and asked them what they were doing. And he got to like play test some of the games. And, you know, he was telling his mom how he wants to make games now and, it was just like, it was really, really interesting that we just sort of like put game development in front of all these people. And, you know, cause if you, if you want to be doing something and you're like, oh yeah, come check out this game jam. Like it's only going to be the people who are at least marginally interested in game jams who will come and look at this. Whereas otherwise we just sort of shoved it in their face. And now all these people sort of have this weird exposure to, to video games. Like even uh, one of the employees on the Amtrak train, one of the car attendants was this woman named Barbara. And one of the teams had brought an Oculus along with them. And so they're sitting there, they're developing a game with an Oculus, you know, the VR device on their face. Wow. And she was just like, what, you know, what is this? And so we explained to her, you know, what virtual reality is, what the Oculus is, what it does. And we sat her down on the train, put the Oculus on her head, opened up one of the demos where she could just walk around. And she was just like completely amazed. You know, and it was just like all these weird little interactions that I just really didn't think about with the fact that we were doing this game jam in public were just, it was amazing. So there was a lot of really just cool things that came out of doing such a weird, unorthodox game jam. So it sounds like most people, most of the other passengers were really like receptive, maybe not most, but for the most part, the reaction you got from the passengers who inquired was vastly positive, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it. I, I obviously don't know, you know, what everybody was thinking, but the ones that did talk to me and sort of, you know, expressed interest into what were what was going on were very just sort of excited about it. Um, and and plus, like, you know, a lot of the people who end up on Amtrak trains are more of of an older age, you know, not not, not like super old or anything, but not you know a bunch of twenty to thirty year old tech nerds. Um, and I, I had a few of them who commented to me like, you know, I thought this was just going to be a bunch of, you know, old people, old quiet people on a train. And it turns out like, hey, look at all these like fun young people doing all this fun stuff. The chaos. Um, yeah, it was it was really cool. And then, I mean, there was a few moments where we sort of like butted heads a bit. One of the big things was, um, like I said, we all sort of took over the observation car because that was the best place to work. And that's where you could, you know, be noisy a bit, you know, after hours and stuff. Um, but the problem was, is once we got to the really beautiful parts of the train ride, cause there's a really gorgeous stretch when you go through the Rocky mountains in Colorado. Uh, but when we got to that part, there was a lot of the other passengers who were annoyed that we had all the seats with all the windows and all the good stuff. Um, and they complained a few times we had to rearrange, you know, I had to make sure that there were seats available for non-train jam passengers. Cause I mean, we had gotten on at the very beginning of the train ride. So we had been sort of hoarding the seats for a day at that point. Um, so there was, there was a little bit of tension between us and the other passengers just for things like that, because I mean, you know how game developers are. We sit down and we start working. We don't move again for three days. Right. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I def- there was a little bit of stuff there, but other than that, that was the only real backlash of, of doing something like this on, on a train in the public like that. Like, like I said, most people seemed really interested and just sort of intrigued by the whole thing. Oh, well, how cool. I'm really excited to, for you to repeat the experiment and see how it goes. 
Yeah, I'm really excited for that because I, I'm hoping to get, you know, more sponsorship from more companies. Like last year I had some some sponsorship from things like Unity or, you know, Yo-Yo Games. They gave licenses, there was money, you know, so I was able to pay for snacks and, and stuff like that. But I'm really hoping to be able to pursue more sponsorship for next year so I can sort of offset the ticket cost a bit more, you know, be able to provide more resources such as notebooks or pens or something. Last year I ended up... Um, I had a company called Playview who sponsored uh, preloaded train jam USB sticks because there was no internet on the trains, um, which is a big problem for developers usually. So I made preloaded USB sticks that had installation files for Unity, installation files for GameMaker, a bunch of art assets, just like open assets that you would normally download online. Um, music programs and just sort of lots of documentation, little helpful things, which was really nice. And I want to do more stuff like that for next year because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of like really small little logistical things about being stuck on a train for three days that you don't normally think about ahead of time. Right. <laughs> yeah, the no internet thing was another really interesting part of the, of the game jam because, you know, most most development process is research. Thinking, yeah, thinking for a few minutes, looking stuff up online, checking Facebook, checking Twitter, checking this, Googling this, getting distracted by Wikipedia, blah, blah, blah. And so um, by not having the internet, um, and then so I actually did get, um, there's a company called Karma who makes preloaded Wi-Fi hotspot devices. And they had uh, given a handful of devices for me to use for Train Jam, but the, the I mean, the coverage in the Midwestern United States on anything, you know, is, is pretty terrible. But most, most train stops that we would get to, there would be this little hint of Wi-Fi that you could get from the devices. And so it created this really funny thing where instead of, instead of a lot of procrastination and little bursts of work, like there is normally when you're making a game, there was like these really long periods of productivity and then we'd get to a, a train stop and just work would stop and everybody would be on Facebook and everybody would be downloading the things that they needed really quickly. You know, so these 15, 20 minute train stops would just people be like furiously on the internet. Getting their dose. Yeah. And it was, it was really, really funny to see. And you, you could see it on like Twitter and stuff too, because people would just like, all of a sudden there'd be like 20 pictures of really nice scenery from a train that people have just uploaded. And it was it was super funny to just sort of see the inverse of how, how work normally goes. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was super fun. I'm really looking forward to next year since I'm going to be able to have more people on it. I sort of know a bit better what I'm doing, so I won't, I won't have so much. I mean, I'll probably still have a lot of nerves beforehand, but, you know, I, I'll know more what to expect for next year. Well, but I think it's really neat. Like you had this, this vision and this idea, and so you just just kind of went and did it. I mean, did you have any like significant help in organizing this and running it? Or was it just kind of you flying by the seat of your pants? Um, I mean, there was, there was help and support from like friends and other developers, mostly people reassuring me that it's not a stupid idea. Um, Cause I was, I was completely convinced that it was just like the dumbest idea and that I was just doing this really dumb thing that, you know, may or may not be fun. Um, I had a lot of help doing a lot of planning stuff uh, with this other developer. He was the one that I said also sponsored the USB sticks from Playview Games. He did a lot of just sort of like helping me write sponsorship packets and, you know, just general calming me down when I'm freaking out about like, oh my God, I need to do this and I need to do this. There's too much to do. What do I do? Right, yeah. Um, but for the most part, it was, 
it was mostly me sort of flying by the seat of my pants. Um, yeah, it was anytime something would come up that I needed to do, I'm like, okay, I just need to, need to do that. And I'd like make these giant spreadsheets and lists of all these things that I have to do. And it was, yeah, it was, it was weird. Cause I, I mean, I had never really organized something like this before. I, um, I helped a bit with organizing the Indie Mega booth when it first came out and things like that. But I, I never, I've never seen myself as like an event organizer or doing anything like that. And it was, it was definitely a really interesting learning experience to just sort of sit down and do it. I'm sure. Yeah. It sounds like a, I'm not a developer and I'm, you know, not a game developer e- either. It, I'm not a developer in any way, but, um, it, I think it sounds like a lot of fun. Like I, I'm st- standing here thinking, oh, wow, it'd be really neat to be one of those passengers on the train and just, just watch yeah. and listen as, as all of this is happening. So I mean, the cool thing is if, if you're even like marginally interested in making a game, a game jam is a really good thing to go to because they're very, I mean, even though they're sort of high pressure environments because you're sitting down and making a game in 48 hours, they're very low pressure in terms of actually being able to do anything, you know, because you, I hear a lot of people who say, oh, I can't program, I can't do art, I can't go to a game jam. And, you know, that's just inherently not true. You know, there's always people who need you know, help designing things, producing things, just sort of like coming up with the ideas and just, I mean, really anything. Um, so I don't know, maybe you could come on Train Jam next year anyway. Yeah, I, I'm a writer, <laughs> so I could. Yeah, I, I mean, just you always need writers. Be a nomad and go from group to group and say, okay, yeah. that's, hey, that, that actually sounds really fun. I'm going <laughs> I'm gonna look into it. That's something I've seen other people do where, you know, there'll be a game jam with one person who's just this roaming producer and like keeps people on track and, you know, just sort of has their hands in every single game. And, you know, that that's sort of invaluable because if you're not, you know, if you don't have like, if you don't have like a producer sort of like telling you what to do, you easily fall behind or you lose track of what you're doing. And just by having one person who was like the roaming producer just sort of helped a lot of things like that. So I don't know. There's, there's always, there's always, always, always something you could do at a game jam, no matter what your skill set is, even if you're just marginally interested in making games. And it's, it's just such a nice educational experience to really see what goes into a game, um, which I think is one of the coolest things about a game jam is, is a lot of people sort of look at how you make games and they're just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, click and clack on the keyboard, boom, you got a game. And, and there's just there's so much more that goes into it. And if you have an interest in making games, but you've never made a game before. It's, it's just, it's invaluable to just go and see what makes a game. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I honestly never would have thought of, you know, I'm not a developer. I don't know. You know, I know a little bit of this language and a little bit of that, but you know, mostly I just sit down and write and I, you know, break software and, and write about it, you know? Um, so I, I never would have considered that that may be something that I could add to. So cool. Um, so let's talk about game a week a little bit. Um, will you will you explain what that is? Yeah. So I like I said before, it basically I make a game every week. Um, it it started as so when I first went 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 indie quote unquote. Um, I you know, was sort of coming out of like a weird time in my life personally and a bunch of other things. And like I said, I ended up, you know, deciding to stop live anywhere. And so I was sort of doing all these things. And I got stuck in this rut where I would, you know, sit down because, you know, for years, I've been thinking about all these games that I want to make. If only I had the time, if only I had, 
you know, this, that, or the other thing. Um, so I would, now that I had the time and I had the resources and I had the ability just to sit down and make these games, I would sit down at my computer and like start unity, open up, you know, a piece of code and then just sit there and maybe write two or three lines of code, get really angry that things weren't working, browse Reddit, browse Buzzfeed, browse Facebook, browse Twitter, you know, take a nap, eat some ice cream. And I'd do all these things and I'd get really frustrated that I, like, I was just paralyzed by, by the ability that I could just do whatever I wanted now, um, which sounds really, really counterintuitive. But it's, it's, it's this really weird thing that happens where all of a sudden you can do all these things and you end up doing nothing because you're just faced with all these just infinite possibilities. And it was just, it, it, like, I literally just did nothing for probably like a month or two, you know, and it was really wearing on me because, you know, I, here was my chance to do all my stuff and I wasn't doing anything, you know, and you know, you know, when you get stuck in that sort of like situation where you know you should be doing this and you're trying really hard, but you're not doing it. So you get more mad because you're not doing it, which makes you less wanting to do it because you're so mad. And it's just like this weird self-perpetuating circle. It is. Yeah. Um, so there was one day I was talking to uh, Rami Ismail of Lambeer and we were talking about it and I was, and we were just sort of going through it and he was like, well, why don't you give yourself a constraint, you know, make, make something this week. And on Sunday, that's it, you know, and that, that is, that is what you've done. Um, and next week do something else. Um, and that was sort of where it was born from. So I sat down and I was like, okay, well, I've had this really good idea for, you know, this like rhythm matching game that I've been wanting to do forever, where you'd be like a DJ and you'd do all these things, you know? So I sat down and I made that and it was awful, you know, but since I had this constraint of I had to do this in one week, you know, I actually sat down and I did it and I prototyped it out and it was awful. You know, and the music was, was great. I played that yeah. one. Yeah, I loved the music. Yeah, I really, I really liked the song. It was just a song that I really, really enjoyed. Um, but the game itself was terrible because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, it was inherently just not a good idea when it came down to it once I actually implemented it. Um, but just, just all these things were wrong with it and whatever. Um, but I did something, you know. So I, I had actually done something that week. And, you know, next week I was like, okay, well, now I have to now I have to go to that second idea that I've been thinking about for all of my life, you know, some fun other game. Um, so I made that and that was also terrible, but you know, I had the goal, I did it for a week and then I moved on and it was just sort of this, this process of keeping doing that every single week and sort of emptying out all the ideas that I'd been obsessing over, which were just not good. Um, and then finally being able to delve into other parts of my brain where you know, were these ideas that I hadn't even really been thinking about, but, you know, turned out better and better and better. And then every week I was able to sort of hone down the the ideas and the mechanics to simpler and simpler things. And, you know, every single week I, I get better at, you know, exploring a mechanic, figuring out why that mechanic works or doesn't work in whatever context I'm doing it in. You know, I'm getting faster at being able to do like the rapid prototyping and stuff like that. So... I know it's been really, really interesting because there's a lot of like little rules that the you know the two of us have sort of like put down week to week when when um, where you know I don't I don't expand on any idea I've done before. So if you like look through all the what 30, 37 games I've got up there right now, you know all of them are very, very vastly different because I, I make it a point to not really have a theme among them. 
you know, there'll be like overarching themes. Like I've been working on networking lately. So a few of my games have been, you know, more networked multiplayer and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I have to, I basically have to make a different game every single week. Um, every week I sit down and I write out, you know, what went wrong, what went right, what I learned from it, you know, a tiny, just little mini postmortem every week to sort of recap, you know, what, what I actually learned that week from this process. Um, one of the really interesting things for it is that I have to publicly post about my games every week, which is terrifying because these games literally have only taken me a week to make. Most weeks, it'll be like two days that I've put into it. Like, you know, I procrastinate until Saturday and I do it entirely on Saturday and Sunday. So all of these, they're very unpolished. They're very unfinished. They're very buggy. They're very much not my, my normal, you know, quote unquote quality of work. Um, so it's terrifying to just, you know, tweet out to all of your people like, hey, here's here's this thing I made this week. Um, and it's it's crap, but here it is. Um, but it, it, that has also gotten easier and easier and easier over time, which has been a really nice thing about this Game A Week project is that, you know, I'm every single week faced with releasing something to an extent, which is a really weird emotional process that you don't really know about until you release a game. And most people when they're working on a game, they release one game every year, or every two years or three years. And so you don't really know how to prepare for that. So I've been sort of like micro preparing myself for that every single week. And it, it does get easier and easier and easier because you find out that people are not mean for the most part on the internet. They're actually very nice. And they're like, okay, I like this game. This is what I would change. I really enjoyed this part. And you know, that was fun at the end. Um, and it's, it's really, really nice to just sort of like get that out of your system of, of learning how to, deal with public feedback on a game. Not that I get a ton of feedback on any game, but you know, there's at least this weird sort of exposing yourself to the internet in some weird way. Like I used to be very, very cautious about sharing my code with people, which sounds like a really, really strange thing, but it just, it felt very personal to me to like show people what my code looks like or, you know, what my, the things I work on look like because I want them to be perfect. If they're not perfect, everybody's going to hate me. Um, but by doing this, I've gotten a lot less sort of neurotic about that, where it's just like, okay, well, if they don't like it, they don't like it. It's not done. You know, that, that's just sort of how it is. This is just my thing that I'm doing. Um, and it's, it's really helped with sort of that kind of feeling. Well, the, so there are, there are a couple things I really love about the Game of Week concept that, um, you know, I'm kind of thinking about, well, how can I apply this to you know, writing, you know, for myself and not for my employer and that kind of thing. But I really have enjoyed reading kind of those post-mortem wrap-ups that you do and just, you know, what you've learned. Because not only, it, it, it seems to me looking in that you're not only learning about, you know, whatever it is you're exploring, you know, whether it's networking or music or, you know, whatever you're, you're trying to, you know, get under your belt, but it seems like I'm kind of watching Adriel evolve a little bit too, as you're like, Oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be quite so hard on myself. And, you know, and I've kind of enjoyed that too. And, um, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's one of, one of my favorite things about it as well is that I'm learning a lot about myself and how I react to things and, you know, learning my limits of what I can do. Like if you look, there's a few weeks where I, I didn't make a game and all of them I very deeply explored why I couldn't make a game that week. Um, you know, one of them was 
let's see, what, what was, let me look at the first one. I, I'm actually, I don't remember why I didn't make a game on week six now that I'm looking at it. Um, but, you know, all of them had very, you know, deep, meaningful, personal reasons why I didn't make a game. I sort of explored all that. And then even the uh, weeks that I do release them, I, I do try to go into sort of the personal things that were happening around me at the time that may have influenced the game or may have influenced this or that or the other thing. Um, because I think that's an important thing to talk about, especially as people who are indies um, often work alone or in very small groups and don't have a lot of outlets other than, you know, Twitter or, or email or whatever, um, sort of assuring themselves that the feelings that they're feeling are normal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, I mean, you, you can tell in a lot of people in our industry, we have a lot of like imposter syndrome where all of us think that we are terrible at everything. Um, and, and people talk about it a lot, but it's, I always find it very reassuring whenever I see somebody I look up to talk to talk about feeling like they're awful or feeling, you know, or even feeling, you know, pride in something they've done or feeling this feeling or feeling that feeling, because if it even resonates with like one other person who's reading it. I, it just, it, it, I don't know, it always just sort of makes me feel good when that happens to me where I realize, okay, I'm not alone with this weird feeling about this weird thing. Um, so I, I very much like to talk about um, just sort of the, the personal parts behind things just for that very reason. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's important to not sort of suffer in silence with a lot of things, which I, I feel like a lot of people... Um, sort of put on themselves where they're like, no, I can't talk about this because somebody will think I'm weak or somebody will think I can't do this or somebody will think I can't do that. And I'm just sort of like, screw it. I'd rather, you know, talk about things and, and I don't know, see if anybody else thinks that thing or see if anybody else can help. And plus it's always sort of cathartic to, if you're, if you're down about something or it's almost like a, like a little live journal in a way where I'm just like, I'm putting this out into the nebulous of the internet and now I feel better, you know? And it's, it's always a lot easier to say things to your computer than to actual people. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do enjoy sort of exploring a lot of the personal things behind it. And there's a few weeks where I've gotten, you know, very, you know, very personal about things. Um, and there was one week recently where I didn't make a game because I was going through like some financial hardships and just personal hardships. And there was a lot of things going on and I talk about all of that. And it's, it, it also goes back to the whole sort of putting yourself out there um, and exposing yourself to the internet or other people and stuff. And I don't know, I, I, I enjoy exploring all that because like I said, there's a lot of just, you know, issues that people suffer from. And if we can all sort of talk about all those things, even just minor issues or big issues. And as long as we can all sort of talk about that, I feel like that's one of like the most powerful things about the internet right now is that we can, we can all connect with each other with whatever we're feeling. It's not just you and, you know, yeah, here's what helped me. And yeah. You know. And that was, so when I first started the game a week thing, I wasn't doing the postmortems. I was just making the game and posting them and moving on. And then it was about week 10 or 11 or something is when I, decided that, that would be a good idea is to write all the postmortems and I wrote a really really long post on my blog which I then posted on Gamma Sutra um, about the motivations behind Game of Week and why I was doing them and there was a whole section where I just went into um, just you know the whole concept of doing this and you know feeling hard on myself when things aren't perfect and why this is helpful with that and um, sort of going into the idea that if we all sort of talked about all the silly things that we were doing, then maybe we wouldn't, like, if we all saw how scared we were 
doing all these things, then maybe we all wouldn't be so scared and we would all try new things. Like it's this sort of self-perpetuating thing where, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm so scared about this. And I, so I can't do it because nobody else is like terrified to do this. And I, that just means I'm not good at it, which is not true pretty much ever. Um, so I, I just sort of like ensuring people that we all, we all feel these things and, you know, whatever, just do what you want to do. And how do you think, you know, you've talked about improving your skills um, in, in terms of like prototyping and that kind of thing, but how, what other areas has Game of Week helped you kind of improve your skill set? Um, I think articulating myself has actually improved a lot by, um, by doing this, like writing the little write-ups every week and sort of being able to, to actually very much pinpoint what about this design worked and what about it didn't work and being able to express that to people and even express it to myself. Um, because when you're designing a game, a lot of times you're just sort of like, oh, I don't know why this is fun, but it's fun. Um, but instead, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this was fun because of this reason and this wasn't fun because of that reason, which, which really helps you then recognize it the next time you're sort of going down that path. Like, hey, this, this feature wasn't fun last time I did it. Why am I sort of like implementing it in a slightly different way over here? Like, that's just not going to be fun because of the reasons I've already discovered. Um, so I end up wasting a lot less time when thinking about those things. Um, sort of the ability to recognize when I've overscoped something, which is, you know, setting, setting yourself up for too many features for you to be able to complete in the actual amount of time, which is a notorious problem for developers. Um, I, I forget who it was, but I was at a talk somewhere, and they were talking about game jams. And they said, you know, take the idea you have, pare it down to the simplest thing that you can possibly think of, remove half the features from that, pare it down again, cut it in half again, and you might have something you'll finish. Like, they, there's just this sort of notorious, I don't know what it is, it's almost like the eyes are bigger than the stomach kind of thing, where you're just like, oh, well, I just, I just need to implement this guy walking over here and jumping. You know, that'll take me five minutes. And then, you know, five hours later, after you've encountered some weird bug where the character flies off the screen to the left and, you know, is inverted or is upside down, you know, you've been doing this thing that you thought was going to take five minutes. And then all of a sudden it's tomorrow. Right. Um, and it's just, and no matter how many times it happens, it just continuously do it where you're like, Oh, this task will take two seconds. It'll be no big deal. Um, so sort of being able to recognize that a lot better and being like, okay, these are, you know, I, I've actually taken it to now where I'll have like a list of the very, very base core features of what will constitute that game that week. And then the like nice to haves that I can do beyond that. And then the nice to really have, you know, that I can do beyond that if I have time. And most of the times I can get to like the second part of that list. And then, you know, the next part is just way gone. Like I would say almost every single one of my blog posts is just like, oh, I really wanted to do this, but I didn't have time. Um, but I'm getting better and better at being able to, even though I still say that the core concept that I wanted to do is what I executed. And I think that's the one most important part there. So it's, it's kind of taught you how to prioritize, I guess, a little bit better and, and decide what, what's the bare bones, bare minimum mm -hmm. for this. And I think one of the really nice things that I've enjoyed the most about this so far is that I have been able to explore a lot of very different ideas. Um, and like I said, like I started out with, you know, the ideas I'd been sort of thinking about forever. And then once I was able to empty those out, I actually got to, you know, explore a lot more ideas that I had never thought about before that would just come to me. Um, 
but it's been really, really nice because I don't get like bogged down with one idea that I get sucked into forever and then end up hating because, you know, reason X, Y, or Z. Because you've looked at it too long. and Yeah. And so like out of the 30 whatever games that I've done so far, there's been only like a very few handful that I've actually very, very, very much liked. And, you know, only one in particular that I think I'm going to try and take beyond this now. Um, but I think that that's a really cool thing is that I was able to sort of try out all these things and find one or two that I was just like, okay, this is, this is special and this is what I like and this is what I'm going to work on more. And I'm still going to do the game a week thing just for the, you know, creative process and, you know, come in with more ideas and more ideas and more ideas. But it was, it's nice to sort of be able to go through that and tap into these other different parts of my head and be like, wow, this is, this is the game I've been wanting to make, you know, not these other games that I've sort of been thinking about like this game. So how long do you plan on continuing Game of Week? Or is it just kind of until you're done? In my head, I've always sort of thought of it as a year-long thing. And I don't really know where that idea, like where that timeline came from or what. But in my head, I'm just like, okay, 52 weeks, that is what I'm going to do. Um, I'm, I'm curious what I'm going to do when I come to f- week 53, you know, whether or not I'm just going to keep doing it out of habit or not. Like, I, I just, I have a really hard time sort of conceptualizing when I read reach that week and what like what my reaction is going to be but at the very very least I want to do it for a year just because that sounds really cool in my head um I don't know so it at least a year maybe more it sort of really depends on what I'm doing at that time like what I have the time for although I mean at this point game a week doesn't eat up too much of my week I mean I sort of like think about it all week and then I'll spend a day or two like completely focused on making it um, so it is easy to do other things while working on it, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. At least a year. Okay, sounds good. Which I actually like marked in my calendar Did you? the other day. Like what? Because I was like, I was like, that's coming up soon. Because I'm I'm on week thirty eight now. Like there's only a few more. You know what? I can't do math right now. Fourteen weeks. Uh, fourteen weeks until I get to week thirty two. Like that's coming up soon. And I sat down. And I clicked forward a few months, and I I thought of I counted out the weeks. And I was like, oh man, it's like sometime in November or something. Is when. Oh, that's that's soon. I know. It's it's super. It might be December. I don't know. It's in my calendar, but it was really really soon. And I put it in my I put it in my calendar. I was like week fifty two. Wow. Um. So what's it like being kind of nomadic right now? Um. It's pretty interesting. I um. So, like I said, I don't have an apartment um, in the U.S. anywhere or anything. So I, I generally will just sort of float around. I, I sort of try to sync up my travel around conferences just because that's the easiest way to, I mean, do networking in the industry and then also, you know, say, hey, I'm going to be here for this, for this. Can I crash on your couch to whatever friends? Um, so what I what I've sort of ended up doing is I spend about half the year floating around the U.S., going to various friends across the U.S. I'll stay with family sometimes. Um, like, I spent, like, a month with my parents this last winter, which was which was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, so I sort of travel around, and then the other half of the year, I spend basically based out of the Netherlands, um, which is usually the time of year where I'm, like, least nomadic, I actually have, like, an apartment I can stay in here where, like, I have stuff. Um, but I still sort of travel around Europe and go to different conferences and go to different events. But it's been, it's been really interesting. It's been, it's been really liberating sort of getting rid of a lot of my stuff and not worrying about stuff. Um, cause I've sort of like all of my life been not really into stuff. Um, just things. I don't know how else to describe that. Um, so it, it's been sort of a really, really nice experience to just 
you know, I sold most of my things. I put the things that I didn't want to sell into storage. It's just like a little five foot by seven foot storage unit in Boston. And it's been really nice to just sort of not worry about that stuff. Um, and I've just like, I've, I've seen a lot of things that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. I've gone to a lot of conferences I wouldn't have gone to otherwise, just because it doesn't matter where I am. So I might as well go to this thing. Um, I've met a lot of people because, you know, I end up sort of embedded in a whole bunch of different like developer communities, you know, like, oh, I'll go to Vancouver and all of a sudden I'll meet all the Vancouver indie developers or, you know, I'll go to Austin and I meet all the Austin developers. And it's just, it's really interesting to sort of like go from in like developer group to developer group to developer group and just sort of like meet all these people across the U.S. and Europe um, and then sort of see them more than just like a glancing at a conference. Uh, and you sort of learn to, like, there's a lot of like really weird subtle differences between all the different areas and especially like Europe to the US, the differences in those kind of developers are really, really interesting. Um, I don't know, it's, it's a very unorthodox, weird way to live. Um, but I, I really like it. I, I enjoy just sort of like not having a home base in a way. I don't know. I've, I've never really been one to like get homesick or do anything like that. So I've never really been bothered by not going quote unquote home. Um, Cause I don't know, home to me has sort of turned into where my laptop is. Right. Home is where the laptop is. That needs to be cross stitched. Yeah. Somebody needs to cross stitch yeah. that and I can put it up in my suitcase. or something. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. It's been really interesting, especially cause then I end up getting like inspired for a lot of these game a week things by the various you know, places that I'm at, like, like, I'm coming up to the end of the time that I can be spending in Europe right now, just because of visa things. Um, so I've been in the Netherlands, and I spent the last two days basically taking the train and driving around the Netherlands. And I mean, there's, it's, there's windmills up the wazoo here, like windmills everywhere. And so like yesterday, we were driving around in the car, and I was like, I'm gonna make a game this week about windmills. I think windmills would be really, really fun. And so now, you know, my game this week is about windmills. You know, you're sort of like arranging windmills to go the right direction with the wind flow and you're trying to stop birds from flying into them and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, these are just like little tiny things that are influenced by what I'm looking at at the moment where I am um, that sort of make their way into all of my little like creative things. And it's really nice because you're not stagnant. You're not just doing the same thing day after day after day. Like I get very, I get very bored easily. And by not just like having the same routine every day is really just nice for me. Um, I like to see a bunch of different things and I like to do a bunch of different things. And, you know, by being exposed to all sorts of different sceneries and cultures and this, that, and the other thing, like you just, you're constantly inspired by, by things and people and, and what's going on around you. Well, it's hard, I think, to get in an ingrained way of thinking when you're changing your inputs every day. You know, I I never would have thought that a game about windmills would be a good idea, but you're explaining it. I'm like, oh, that sounds really fun. You know, that that's a great idea. Um, and I don't know. It's I'm I'm very much the opposite of you. I like having kind of a home base. I love to travel, but I don't know if I could just kind of up and you know go wherever you know the whimsy strikes, but. I'm thinking about like my own creative process and what, what that might be like. And I'm like, Oh, maybe, I don't know. My husband probably wouldn't just go for. Well, see, the nice thing is, is 
is, you know, like my boyfriend is also really into traveling and is never home either. So like we both just sort of are doing things always, you know, we're just always going places and we try and like go to the same conferences and that's that and the other thing. So it's nice to sort of have like a partner who also is, is in that mindset where, you know, we've been in the same place for a week and we're both like, Oh, oh my gosh, it's we, time to pick up. You need to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like this is, this is killing me. Um, but it, it is, it is nice. Um, I actually am probably going to be getting an apartment soon in the Netherlands. Um, so I will start having like a home base again, but I'm at the same time, I'm just like, well, this isn't going to affect how much I travel, but now I sort of like have a home to come home to if I want to. Uh, but for the most part, I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm still considering myself nomadic. Like I still just, I, because I can't sit still. It's just like, blah, I don't like it. <laughs> but how cool is it that you're, you know, you live in a day and age where you can actually do that, you know? Yeah. And that's the coolest thing is like, um, when I first started doing this and talking to people about it, they, I like, and always, always, I get the question like, well, don't you miss your friends? Don't you miss your family? Don't you miss this? Don't you miss that? And it's just like, no because I talk to them still constantly as much as I would, if not more, because we do have this glorious thing called the internet where, you know, if I miss my friend on the other side of the world, I can call them on Skype and see their face and say, Hey, I miss you. Um, and it's, I don't know. I, I, I often go in these little like tirades where I defend the internet against people who are like, the internet is making us antisocial. You know, everybody's just on their computers all the time. That that's horrible. And that's the worst ever. You know, and it's just like, no, you're doing it wrong. Like the internet has made me, has made me able to have so many relationships that I 100% never would have been able to have 20 years ago. You know, even like the most important people in my life, like my partner, I, we never would have met if not for the internet or ever would have been able to pursue a relationship without the internet or, you know, friends around the world. I would just, I would lose contact with because you see them at an event and you never see them again you know, and you never, you're not able to catch up with them. You're not able to email them or whatever. And it's just, the internet has sort of made this, made us be able to have all these important connections that just, you know, you wouldn't have been able to have in the previous generation. Even, yeah. Even just like 10 years ago, you almost wouldn't be able to have these kinds of like very, very important relationships with people who are not near you. Um, and I just, I don't know, I love, I love the internet for that. Like, I love the fact that I am able to keep in contact with people literally all around the world um, and, and keep in contact with them very closely and, and personally. And it's just, I don't know, I love it. And with, with the internet, you know, you can do these things where you just sort of travel around. And I, I, I actually think I see my friends more now than like when I ever lived somewhere because you know, it's hard to continuously go places if you're flying back and forth from the same place, you know, and in this way, instead, I just sort of like chain a bunch of things around and I, you know, do work because I work as a programmer so I can work from behind my laptop. And as long as I have an internet connection, we're good. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like it. And I, I like that I can still keep in contact with everybody. I want to keep in contact via the wonderful, wonderful internet. Well, and it also, I think, gives you more things now, more things to talk about now than it would have before. So, you know, you, I hear a lot of criticism about, oh, well, I go into restaurants and everybody's on their phones. And I think about this, you know, like with my husband and me, because we'll be, you know, we'll both be checking out Twitter while we're, you know, waiting to order, waiting for our food or whatever. But we're having conversations about what we're reading. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, and it's, it's like, oh, I'd never thought about, you know, whatever this thing is I read on Twitter before. What do you think about this? And, and, and did you know that this was happening? And, 
Yeah. And I think that's the important distinction there. Like sometimes I will get annoyed when people are on their phone in the restaurant if they're literally just looking at their phone and there's no there's no interaction with the person that you were there with. And I've seen that happen. And, you know, that's probably my biggest criticism of things like that. But at the same time, like things like you're talking about, like, oh, did you see that this happened? Oh, no, let's talk about that thing. Um, and I don't know, like I've, I've seen that floating around the Internet, too, where it's, you know, it was it was some very just like upworthy headline where it was like, you know, this restaurant reviewed security footage and what they saw will surprise you, you know, and it talked about how people go in and, and look at their phones and this, that, and the other thing. And it was like, it was like people now eat in restaurants on average, you know, a half an hour longer because they're looking on their phones and not interacting with each other. And it's just like, eh, whatever. I don't know. It, that Like that kind of stuff, like where people just criticize and like a giant thing for one very specific thing where people are sort of like, I don't want to say using it wrong because who am I to arbit, you know, how anything is used, but using it differently than I would. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, well, I don't know why, why can't they be on their phones and looking at the news and talking about this and talking about that? Or, you know, when people post pictures of everybody on the subway looking at their phones um, and it's just like, oh, nobody's social anymore. Nobody's social on the right, subway. Ever. Nobody, no. nobody has ever wanted to talk to anybody else on the subway. No, no, it's not. That's not a good thing. Yeah. Instead, now we have this like device that we can put in our hands that just open us up to all the information in the world. Well, and I which, don't know. It was just, it's amazing. Yeah, which is it's amazing. It can sometimes be a detriment because sometimes you just get overwhelmed with like, you know, everything. Like every now and again, it'll just be like, there's too much bad news in the world. I need to not look at the internet today. And you can do that. It's very easy to just put your laptop down, you know, not look at the internet. Like I'll, there'll, there'll be sometimes where I'm just like, okay, close Twitter, close Facebook, close this, turn off the internet and just work. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can just sort of stop that fire hose of information. Sometimes it does get a little overwhelming, but for the most part, I just like, I love the fact that the internet is just a daily occurrence in our lives and allows us all of the things that, I think the benefits far outweigh the detriments that can come from it. I do too. And I think, you know, it's all, it all, I guess, to your point comes down to how you use it. You know, you have great power. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Like all, all things in moderation are good. I don't know. That's my personal view on the internet. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally and completely agree. And with everybody you. must agree with me because I'm saying it on the internet. Right. Because everything <laughs> on the internet is Right. Exactly. Nobody is ever wrong on the internet, ever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so we're coming up to an hour. Is there anything else that you want to talk about and tell people about? I don't know. I mean, I guess the biggest thing we've already sort of covered, you know, Train Jam is coming around next year. Um, it's it's happening. It's happening on the same time schedule as last year where I – ran train jam in the three days before GDC, which would get everybody in GDC with a day to sleep and shower. Um, oh, that's good. Showering. Is yeah. Good. Yeah. That was, that was the best decision I ever made was letting people have a full day between train jam and GDC starting. Um, Cause I think that day I just slept forever. Um, so next year train jam is going to be February 26th through 28th. Uh, Cause GDC starts on March 2nd. So it's a Thursday to a Saturday. Um, tickets should be going on sale sometime soon, but I don't really know when. It sort of depends on when sponsorship stuff comes through. And that starts in it's Chicago to yeah. San Francisco? Okay. Yep. 
starts at Chicago's Union Station and gets us technically to Emeryville, California, which is right outside San Francisco. Um, but last year I ended up having a deal with Uber where people got like a free $20 Uber ride if they were on train jam, which was nice. Um, yeah, it starts in Chicago Union Station, which, so I picked Chicago because Chicago to San Francisco was the longest continuous train line in the United States and it went through the Rockies. So it's gorgeous. And that's that and the other thing. But what I didn't think about is that now forever people will be having to fly into Chicago in February or March when it's just snowing all the time. So like, you know, last year for train jam, my flight was delayed like 12 hours getting into Chicago. So, you know, I'm sitting in freaking out that I'm not gonna get there in time. And Amtrak is such a sort of antiquated system that I had physical tickets. So it was just like, if I don't get there, nobody can get on the train. Um, and there was a lot of problems with people flying from, you know, Boston to Chicago in the middle of the winter, where, you know, two very snowy places. So, you know, there was one guy who, you know, planned to be there the night before, like a responsible human being, um, which I super appreciated. But then his flight got canceled and then it got, you know, rescheduled and then his and so it got rescheduled to the next day. And then he got on the flight and that got, you know, rescheduled and delayed and delayed and delayed. He ended up making it onto the train like an hour before train jam started. Um, there was actually two people who ended up missing the train by like a half an hour or something because of delays, um, which Amtrak then rebooked because it was delays from a different Amtrak train that they were coming in. So they ended up being on the same route, but 24 hours behind us. Oh, no. <laughs> Which was such a shame because, like, you feel so close to being on train jam, but you're so, so far away. So there was a lot of, like, you know, weather-related logistical problems I didn't really think about, which now I will forever have to be dealing with because GDC is always in March, you know, and we're always going to be flying into Chicago in the winter. So what about doing it the other way and going from San Francisco to Chicago after... I've thought about that, but there was a really nice feeling of pilgrimage happening mm -hmm. where, you know, all a bunch of developers going to the largest game developers conference in the United States, like, you know, people, people sort of like, and people flew in from all over the world. Like, I think I had like 14 different countries accounted for or something in Train Jam, like as far away as Australia, as close as like, there were people, there was one guy from California who flew to Chicago. <laughs> Because he was from L.A., so he had to fly anyway to get to GDC. So he was just like, okay, I'll just fly to Chicago and come on train jam. So there was, there was all these people coming from all over the world, and they sort of meet in one spot, and we all pilgrimage out to GDC, you know, beforehand, which was a really, really nice little feeling that oh, happened. Oh, yeah, I, I can see that. And then plus, like, I, I assume you've never been to a GDC before. No. You are exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically everything by the end of it and just like the thought of doing a game jam right after gdc just makes my mind melt um so i've i've thought about that a few times the thing i'm probably more likely to do is one of these years i want to start a southern route um because there is a train that goes from i know there's a train that goes from like Orlando all the way to LA, but you have to switch somewhere. I think if you start in like Austin, you go all the way to LA without switching. So I'd like to look into doing sort of a Southern contingency route. Um, but that will definitely not be this year. It'd probably be something that I would look into for next year once I'm sort of a little bit more settled with getting it as like an annual event, um, which could be fun. I don't know. That could be fun. But yeah, other than that, 
Um, that's my big thing I'm working on other than the game a week. I'm actually speaking at the European GDC on Monday about game a week, which is really, really exciting because I've never spoken at a GDC event before and I'm really nervous about it. So you have just in a breakout session or? Uh, it's just a, it's just a little, um, uh, like summit talk for indie games, um, and it's also like at 10 o'clock in the morning on Monday. So nobody's going to be there, which is really nice because then I don't have to be as nervous. Um, but I mean, GDC is basically like the biggest game developers conference. And this is, you know, the European version of it, which is also really, really big and important. And it's just, I don't know, I've never talked to a GDC event before. So I'm a bit nervous about it, but it'll be super fun. Oh, I bet. Good luck. I, yeah, I'm, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I still have to write the talk. Actually, I think after I get off of this, now that I'm like in the mode of talking about game a week, I'm going to totally, I'm going to make the, I'm going to make the talk. Very cool. So Adriel, how can people find you? Um, I am on the internet all over the place. I am on Twitter as Miss Minotaur, which is M-S-M-I-N-O-T-A-U-R. Sometimes people spell it M-I-S-S. Um, and also Minotaur is a very hard word to spell out loud. I always get very confused about it. But anyway, I'm on the Twitters as Miss Minotaur. You can also find all my stuff at MissMinotaur.com, which is where I post every single one of my game a week things and plus like other little things that I'm working on or have worked on or am thinking about. Um, so those are, the, those are the two big places to find me on the internet. And I you can email me, Adriel at MissMinotaur.com. Sometimes I respond. Sometimes I'm, I'm really bad at email sometimes, but for the most part, I try to respond. Um, but yeah, you know, friend me on Twitter. I tweet about a lot of things. I love following you on Twitter. I, <laughs> I, I have for, I think about six months now and it's always, it's always fun. Yay. I'm glad. Sometimes when I get like, you know, a whole lot of new followers, I'll like look through my previous, you know, days worth of tweets. And sometimes I'm just very embarrassed by right. myself. No, I do that too. I'll, I'll, go on <laughs> do like, that too. I'll go on like 10 tweets rants about like farts and I don't I don't know why like I find farts hilarious so that that's probably why farts specifically but like sometimes I'm just like oh god why why do people follow me um there was a weird moment where I gained a lot of twitter followers after you know sort of a weird thing with a game jam which you probably read about if you googled it at all um and so I ended up getting like 1500 new Twitter followers in one day. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden I was like, oh God, I have to start like actually thinking about what I'm <laughs> saying. Like I, people actually are going to listen to me now and that is terrifying. Right. <laughs> and then like once there's this weird thing that happens when you get a lot of Twitter followers, a lot, quote unquote, a lot of Twitter followers where like your follower count like exponentially goes up because more people are listening to you. So more people are retweeting you. So more people see you. So you get more and more and more followers. So I've just like, I've been gaining all these followers over the last year and I'm just like, oh no, why are people listening to me? I'm so dumb when I talk. No, I think it's great. <laughs> no, I do. I, um, I mean, because you're funny. I'm, you just yeah. are. So <laughs> I really enjoy, I really enjoy, you know, seeing your tweets and interacting <laughs> with you. And, um, I'm so happy that you said that you'd come on and talk to me because I've had a blast. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. Thank you. That's it for this time. You can find out more about Less Than or Equal by following us on Twitter at Less Than or Equal. 
uh, Facebook at less than or equal or our website less than or equal.com. If you'd like to come on the show or have any suggestions for people who might want to be interviewed, please let me know. And until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for less than or equal. <laughs>